0: Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Summer Sundays um, to you. I can feel the excitement in the room. It's buzzing, all right? It's officially July, and I know it makes me sound like a 1,000 years old, but where has 2023 gone, and how did it go so quickly? I don't understand that. Um, Summer. How many of you love summer and all things to do with summer? You can raise your hand. Yes? All right. All right. That's pretty good. Okay, here's my take on Summer. I like it in small doses, okay? I like the idea of it, but in practicality, not so much. I like um, a good break, I like a, a vacation, I like the break from school, I like sitting by the pool, but when it starts to drag on for more than just a little bit, I'm like, all right, we done here? Yeah, we done, because kids, are we ready to get back to a normal like schedule and routine because There are snack wrappers all over my house and half full drink cups, like an ungodly amount just sitting everywhere. And I'm like, y'all need to get out of my space, okay? I need to get you gone uh, really, really soon. So that's kind of my uh, take on summer. But here's the thing that I think that we can choose to lean into with summer. Everything loosens up a little bit, the schedule, the time, the responsibilities. And if we let it, I think there can be a spiritual invitation in that slowing as well. And that's where I felt led to take us today. If you've been with us a few years, then you may remember a few years ago when we did the City University Zoom classes together, and we had several different classes or courses that you could pick from and dive in, and we walked through these classes together, and Bodie and I taught one of those classes, and it was called A Soul Restored. And when I knew that I was going to be opening up Summer Sundays, I couldn't get that particular class out of my mind and out of my head and out of my heart, and I really felt led to share one of those, a version of one of those weeks of that class with you today. And so today we're going to be looking at a great invitation from Jesus. If you have your Bible and you want to be ready in anticipation for where we are going to be, you can turn to Matthew chapter 11, and we will get there here in just a little bit. But before we get into this invitation, let's first talk about why we need this invitation. David Foster Wallace began his 2005 commencement speech with this short story. Two young fish were swimming along and they happen upon an older fish. The older fish swims up to them and says, how's the water today, boys? And after this interaction, the two young fish swim away and after a little bit of silence, they look at each other and say, what the heck is water? It's no secret that we live in a hurried, fast-paced, overloaded world. When you see someone at the store you see someone you haven't seen in a long time you're meeting up halfway in the aisle and you have that awkward like moment and you're like hey rachel what's up how you doing how is everything most always our natural response is i'm good just busy the message that we get each day in and out and then we grow up having ingrained in our heads is this slow is bad and fast is good When we slow down we feel like life is passing us by or that we're just being unproductive or maybe just lazy with our lives and the mission that God has set us on and don't get me wrong there is a fullness that our lives should have especially in certain seasons but the busyness and the hurry and the overload that I'm talking about this morning is one that goes from our schedule and kind of leaks into an infection of the soul most of us if we're honest are in the busy business of chronic busyness. And here's the danger that John Mark Homer in his book Ruthless Elimination of Hurry points out. And let me just get a book plug over with right here at the beginning, okay? Uh, So much of the goodness of this message, of this class that we taught so long ago comes from the wisdom in Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and just my journey since reading that book. Um, I've read it multiple times. It has been one of the most formational books that I've read in my life. Um, If you are looking for a summer read, look no further, and it's in our library, you're welcome, okay? So John Mark Homer points this out. He says, both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. So a little insight into me, I really hate being late. Um, I've shared this before and it's kind of a split feeling on this next statement that I'm about to make. Half of you agree with me and the other half who are wrong disagree with me. <laughs> so really my philosophy on being late is being right on time for something is the same thing as being late. I feel like, yeah, oh yes, my people, okay, yes, all right. So that 10 to 15 minute uh, early window That's the sweet spot, okay? That's what I really feel. And some of my absolute worst moments as a wife, as a mom, as just a human being have been put on display while in the midst of being late. When we are rushed for something, when we need to leave and my family's not ready yet, or we need to leave and we need to go somewhere, or I'm rushed for a deadline and my kids want my attention, these are some of the worst moments for me. John Ortberg says this, He says, hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. Yes, and my disordered heart in those moments causes me to lash out in the worst ways because hurry and love are incompatible. Really, any of the kingdom values that we carry as Jesus' people, love, joy, peace, patience, all of the fruit, they're incompatible with hurry of the soul. And that disordered heart also carries with it a low threshold for temptation. But again, slow is bad, and fast is good. Hustle is a badge of honor, and we find meaning in the hustle. So many current articles out there to back this up, but in today's culture, hustle, or more particularly, your job or your career, is beginning to take the place that religion has held for so long. It's the place that we're, where we find meaning. It's a place where we find community. And scientists and atheists and Christian theologians all agree human beings are meaning-making machines. We cannot live life without meaning. To make sense of the world, we have to write a story of meaning. And so we place so much focus on doing what we love to do in our day-to-day life, which is great and good, and it's a perfectly right and good question to ask. But when all of our meaning is produced from this question, that's where the problem arises. We begin to gain all of our identity and all of our purpose from our production. What I do instead of who I am, which as we know is the opposite in our life with Christ. Our identity comes from him. Our meaning is found in our acceptance from him without ever producing a thing. And from that secure identity, we are free to do and to serve and to produce the fruit of the kingdom. It's who I am, not what I do. And the real kingdom question that I think that we should be asking ourselves instead of, am I doing what I love to be doing or am I doing what I want to do? It's this, am I becoming who I want to become? That's what I want us to settle into this morning. And the question I want you to ponder this morning, am I becoming who I want to become? But as we said before, even if we know the warning signs, if we, even if we know the concerns and the signs of hurry, most of us like the rush of it. Hurry is an addiction for most of us and it makes us feel good. Why do you think that we say that thing at the grocery store that we say? First of all, it's awkward, we just need something to say. Secondly, when we say we're busy, it makes us look important. It makes us feel important, a lot of people need me. I got a lot of things going, I got a lot of things cooking. You know what I'm saying? That makes us feel good, we like that. It's an addiction that we have. But as with any addiction, we have to look deeper. What are we running from? What comes to the surface whenever we slow down enough for things to get quiet and things to settle down? What begins to bubble up inside of us when it's quiet and we can hear our own self think? See, the point of the fish story that I read earlier is merely that the most obvious, important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see. We are all swimming in this culture of busyness and overload and hurry, and we aren't even aware that it's the water that we are swimming in. It's hard to name and identify because it's so built in, like fish in water. But once we become aware of this reality, we have to keep reminding ourselves This is water, this is water. And so what teaching can we pull from the life of Jesus that will lead us into not disconnection from our soul, but like we just talked about, but that will actually lead us to life and the life that he has promised us. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11 and we're gonna start in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, in the few verses before this, has just come out of a pretty intense teaching, or really you could call it a rebuke or a judgment. I know we we don't like those words, but this judgment from Jesus, as it always is, is not a heaping of a shame or condemnation. It's an invitation into something different, a new way of life if you repent or turn from the actions that are ultimately causing death And then he switches kind of abruptly into the text that I just read. He begins talking with the Father as we see him do so often. We see him giving praise or thanks to the Father. He begins to pray, and we don't want to miss this. He begins to pray, and then he begins to reveal himself as the Messiah. He says in verse 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. This is a moment where Jesus is placed on the side of the Father in contrast to the rest of humanity. He's saying no one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. This is a defining moment in the life of Jesus. And what we read here tells us that the father is and has fully been revealed through his son, Jesus, or as I've heard it said before, in and through Jesus, God gets a face. Jesus is about to invite them somewhere. He's about to invite us somewhere that only the Messiah can take us. And so he's making sure we know, hey, I'm the guy, he's the guy. He's the guy that we have been waiting for, and he's the one that has the life. He has the life that we have been waiting for as well. So he goes into prayer and then into revelation of who he is, and then into this invitation for each and every one of us. And this invitation, I know, is a very familiar scripture to many of us in the room. Maybe you have a tattoo or a coffee mug in your house or a Hobby Lobby picture with this particular verse on it. Okay, I know it's familiar, but I want to challenge you today, this morning, with this simple and familiar verse, as we need to do with all familiar verses, is to really set with it and let Holy Spirit reveal something new to us. The Word is living and active, and it continues to to take on new sides. As we grow in our maturity, as we grow in our maturity with the Lord and our relationship with the Lord, so our capacity for understanding, really, the fullness of Scripture does. So that's why it keeps being new every single time. So I challenge you today to sit with it this morning. I'm gonna read it one more time. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Two things to note about the word yoke. First, a yoke is a work instrument used to tie two oxen together to pull a cart or to plow a field. This is not something that most of us are very familiar with, at least in practicality and of use. You've probably maybe never used one of these um, before uh, because we don't live in an agrarian society anymore. But I'm sure probably most of us have heard this reference before, maybe even referenced with this verse. It was literally a tool created to help shoulder the load. Second thing about the word yoke, if you were living in the days of Jesus and you were to come across him in the synagogue or come across him in in the streets or wherever you might come across him, you would have known him as a rabbi or a teacher. Obviously he was and is so much more than that, but still he is and was our rabbi, our teacher. And as such in his day and in his time, he would have had what they called a yoke. A yoke was a common idiom in the first century for a rabbi's way of reading the Torah or the scriptures, but it was also more. It was his set of teachings on how to be human, on how to shoulder the weight of life. Back to that first definition of yoke, it was his way of carrying the load. So Jesus, as did other rabbis in his day, he had a yoke. And here he was saying his yoke was easy which stood in direct contrast to the rule following heavy legalistic yokes of his day. So him having a yoke wasn't the unusual thing. It was the adjective he used to describe that yoke that would have caught the people's attention. It would have caught them a little bit off guard. And so Jesus opens this invitation with another very familiar invitation that we see from Jesus time and time again. He says, come to me come to me or follow me. We see him again, time and time again in the gospels, giving this invitation to come, to follow him, to apprentice under him, to learn from him. Jesus's invitation is to take up his yoke, to travel through life at his side learning from him and how to shoulder the weight of life with ease, how to step out of this overloaded, burnout society and step into a life of soul rest. Here's the thing we need to note about a yoke as a tool is that in order for it to work, you have to stay in step with one another. If the two oxen are fighting against one another, it's not gonna work in the way that it should, so you have to stay in step with one another. And so what does it look like to walk with Jesus? Bodhi and I have this kind of running tiff, if you will, that may be even a strong word um, to use, but anytime that we are walking together, whether we're in a store or actually on a walk in a park or somewhere, as we're walking and as we're talking, I will always end up being like, are we in a race? Like we're just walking, I'm trying to keep up with him and we're just walking so fast, he's walking so fast. I'm like, can we slow down? Unless we're in Walmart, then it's business only. Like in, out. Okay, I'm all about that life. But anywhere else, I'm like, can we, can we slow down? Can you just slow down with me? Be in the moment with me, not rushing along. Let your heart slow and let your pace slow with that. And I know because Holy Spirit has given me a word in the moment when I'm saying that to Bodhi and also later on he's done this to me time and time again that that is his invitation to me as well That he's saying can you just slow down can you just be in the moment with me not rushing along let your heart slow and so let your pace slow down but here's the deal this all sounds great I think we can say we all want this, it sounds great, it's poetic, the words are deep, and deep down we long for this. And we also think, man, I I am weary. I I do feel heavy burdened, I do feel like I am doing all of the lifting, I want this, but am I missing something? And the truth is that most of us are missing something. The thing that we tend to miss is what Dallas Willard calls the secret of the easy yoke. And he says this, in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists of loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. Okay, Mr. Willard, I see you. The full life of Jesus. That's what we're invited into. Not just the highlight reel that we see each and every Sunday from a sermon a week. Actually looking at his life and making it our own actually apprenticing under him in the same way that his disciples did. Apprenticeship is kind of a different word for us um, in this day and age, but this is kind of a life-on-life relationship type situation. It's not just I'm learning the actions of what you're doing. I'm learning the actions and also the motivations behind the actions. I'm not only learning what we are doing, but I'm learning why we are doing it. It's a full like immersion into a way of life. We talk about and sing about the kingdom so much here at City Church. And part of living in the kingdom is learning the culture of said kingdom. And we learn about the culture and we learn the cadence and the pace of life of the kingdom by looking at the king learning from his life and living like he lived. Simply put, one more quote from JMC, if we want to experience the life of Jesus, then we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So our oldest daughter, Ella, um, has been playing golf the last couple of years. She kind of started when she was little, we noticed kind of a natural talent, kind of left it for a while, but the last two seasons she's played uh, school golf for her team. And she's got a lot of natural ability. And that's really what we're riding on right now, because there hasn't been a lot of extra work put in outside of her natural uh, ability. But this past season, uh, one of the tournaments that I got to go to, she got paired up with a girl who was really good. And the best way that I can describe it is, Ella has a lot of natural ability and she plays golf. This other girl was a golfer. They were actually pretty well matched. Several of the holes, but the way they approached the game, the way that they handled the ups and downs of the game, if you play golf at all, you know it's so mental, and you can hit a really crappy shot, and then you gotta get up and hit another one and keep your head in the game. And so the way they approached the game, the way they handled the ups and downs of the game were completely different And I have many examples of this in my own life as well. I have set out time and time again to become the kind of person, I set high goals of like, I'm gonna work out every day, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And then I inevitably fail said goals because really, at the end of the day, it's just an addition onto my life. I just tried to add something else. Up until this point in my life, I want the results, but I haven't really gone full in to adopt the lifestyle that it takes to get there up until this point the lifestyle has been too high of a cost as it is for changing all of my life choices but in the case of jesus's invite it's fully worth the cost yes there is a death but it is followed by a new life in christ there can't be a resurrection without a death and this death is a death to our old selves our old practices our habits our thoughts our old lifestyle And with that death comes the birth of a new lifestyle, Jesus's life that he has promised us, Jesus's yoke. Frederick Dale Bruner says this about the yoke of Jesus. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes, That the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life a fresh way to bear responsibilities realism sees that life is a succession of burdens we cannot get away from them thus instead of offering an escape jesus offers equipment jesus means that obedience to his sermon on the mount his yoke will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Man, I love that so much. That's probably one of my top favorite quotes. That is so good, and it's so real and so true. Life is hard. It can be crushing at times, and Jesus knows this. He walked this earth. He put on flesh and dwelt among us and experienced all that we experience here on earth, the human condition. Yes, an escape is great. A vacation is great. Escapes are great, but it's not a permanent solution. And honestly, we don't need another escape. Our world and our culture is full of ways to check out. We carry with us a little rectangle way to check out at any moment that we need to check out at all times. Don't even get me going on digital distraction. That's a whole nother sermon, okay? But we do not need another way to numb and to escape. We've got that down pretty good. We need a tool. We need an instrument to help us carry this load and deal with all of the things that are coming at us at all times and what is this tool again it's his way of life the practices and rhythms that we see lived out in the actual life of Jesus it's not a I'm doing the right actions in order to produce the right results type situation again it's a lifestyle I'm not simply doing the actions of a disciple I'm a disciple I'm an apprentice of Jesus. So when I get it right and I'm living in the sweet spot and I'm up early and I'm into my rhythms and my practices and I'm hitting all of the marks, I'm an apprentice. When I am getting it wrong, when I am missing the mark and I miss it weeks on end or months on end, I'm an apprentice. Back to Ella again, her actions and the the work that she's put into it up until this point, she hasn't played enough or put enough lifestyle change to really being a golfer, but even just making the mental shift is huge. While we were out on the course, I was like, watch this girl. Watch how she's doing it. Watch how she approaches the ball. Watch what she's doing. If you just make the mental shift to say, whether I do well or not, whether I play today or not, whether I don't play for two weeks, I'm a golfer. I don't just run, I'm a runner. I don't just write, I'm a writer. I don't just go to church, I'm an apprentice, a follower, a disciple of Jesus. John Tyson says this, a good Christian is often someone defined by what they don't do or how nice they are. But someone who is good at being a Christian is not someone pretending to be Jesus by stuffing down their emotions, nor are they performing for Jesus' approval. Rather, they are training to become like him. Like Peter, they make mistakes, but they fall forward. A person who is training to be like Jesus steps out of boats, turns over tables, hangs out with sexual minorities, blesses their enemies, and eventually learns to say the right thing at the right time. This was the story of Jesus' disciples, who through training learned to eventually cast out demons, feed the hungry, heal the sick, and have the same heart as Jesus for the whole world. When what we practice is rooted in our secure identity, our focus is on who we are becoming, not what we are trying to do or not to do. And who we are becoming is formed and fused in the ups and downs of lives, in the successions of burdens, as Bruner said, And this is what makes this invitation from Jesus so stunning. It's not more to do, it's a way to be. Someone unmute, Michael, because, you know, he's (laughs) just up here doing his thing. (laughs) It's not more to do, it's a way to be. Jesus says, come to me. Walk with me, learn from me, be tied to me, and take up my yoke. Back to the yoke that ties the two oxen together. Imagine two oxen who are tied together who are vastly different in size. Like if I'm tied to my six-year-old son, Micah, and we are standing side by side, carrying the weight of something, what does that look like? This kind of took me back to when Micah was little. He's still little, he's a little guy, but even when he was littler, I'm the kind of person that feels like it's worth the temporary pain to pile up as many grocery sacks as I can on both arms, just so that I don't have to make, I can make one less trip, you know, back to the car. So it's worth the pain to go through this. So he watched me as I was uh, doing this when he was really little and like, he picked up on the fact that I think mom needs help, she's making a lot of noise. She's doing a lot of things, carrying these groceries in. And so when he was really little, like he was like, mom, I wanna help you carry in the groceries. And so this was when he was like too little to really even carry anything. And so I would load up my arms and do the thing, and then he would just grab onto a sack, like the bottom of a sack, and we would carry them in. And all the while, he's like grunting and making all the noises that he's heard mom made. He's like, yeah. We're doing it. Looking up at me like, we're doing it. We're carrying it, mom. We're carrying the groceries. And we get in and I set all the bags down. He's like, Whew, wiping the sweat off his brow. And I'm like, yes, bub. Thank you so much. You helped me so much. You, we carried those groceries like bosses, all right? We did it. We carried it in. We were high-fiving and celebrating. I'm like, thank you so much for helping me carry it. And all the while I know he did not carry any of the load (laughs) he really didn't even help me he actually made it harder you know but i'm celebrating him nonetheless even though i know i was carrying the load it's the same when we're yoked to jesus we are walking with him side by side doing life together learning his way of life celebrating together and actually sharing life all the while he's doing the lifting he's so much taller and greater and grander than I am and when I'm tied to him yes we're working together but he's carrying my load all at his pace Staying in step with him, walking with him, unhurried, present to the moment. As I said before, slow down, be in the moment with me. Let your heart slow, let your pace slow. And he's full of love and joy and peace and grace. And this is the invitation that Jesus is inviting us into. So, where to start? If you're like me, you may think, man, this sounds beautiful, I need this, I want more of this, it's needed in your life. You got your pen ready, maybe your notes out on your phone, like give me five steps. Give me five things to do that will change my situation and that I can put into action right now. And then I can so easily go from hurried and busy and then I add more things on top of my hurried and busy in order to try to help me not be so hurried and busy and so the cycle continues, okay? And don't get me wrong, there are practices and rhythms that we need to implement. That's what this whole thing is about, practices and rhythms from Jesus. But that's another sermon for another day or another book for another poolside read. So I'm not gonna do that today, I'm gonna do something that I don't think I've ever done. Really one simple thing that I felt as we end today, one simple thing to give you as we begin July, as we settle into summer and summer Sundays and this sort of exhale that summer can bring. My simple invitation, challenge, homework, experiment, whatever your personality, whatever word your personality likes best, grab onto that one, okay? My simple invitation is to read the gospels all the way through this summer or maybe this month. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, read them all the way through Maybe for the first time all the way through or maybe for the hundredth time all the way through. Let's read the gospels together. Reading not as a task, but as an apprentice. Remember, it's our identity. I'm an apprentice taking notes of his comings and his goings, his choices, his pace. We learn the kingdom by looking at the king. To live the lifestyle of Jesus, we need to be familiar with the lifestyle of Jesus, how he came and how he went to read them as what they are they are biographies of his life and so we want to know more about his life and how to live his way they are biographies and so what better way to put on his yoke than to read about him and to learn from our king stand with me this morning to end before we go into a time of communion i would just like to invite you to close your eyes kind of settle in get situated fix your jacket whatever you need to do and i'm going to read over you this invitation again from the message version I wanna invite you to do what we talked about earlier, to let Holy Spirit speak to you, and particularly to you and to your season right now in this moment. Maybe you had a revelation about this scripture years ago and it spoke to you in just the right moment, but today is a new day, today is a new season, and he has a word specifically for you that has nothing to do with what I say out of my mouth. So I wanna give some space gonna read this just let it set for a moment and then we will come to the table together are you tired worn out burned out on religion come to me get away with me and you'll recover your life I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly.